I'm guessing all of you have had that moment before. That moment where Jesus changed everything for you. And if you haven't had that moment, our prayer is that you would come to know this living Jesus. Because he can change everything in your lives. And for many of us, we can share stories and testimonies. And our prayer is, through this mission's emphasis, that God would do that. That he would use the funds that are given, that he would use the mission trips that we go on to change us. So that we're changed every single day when we live here. That we can't help but share this message. And uh, I hope over the next few weeks, you will take this uh, to God in prayer for your family. Many of you have been blessed in wonderful ways. and. So many of you are so generous. We're so grateful for the ways that you support the work that goes on here uh, through your time and through your money and and through so many other ways, your prayer. Uh, And and my prayer is that we would do it again, that we would be that generous church that we uh, know we've been in the past. And so I look forward to seeing what what comes the next few weeks. I want to start with a prayer this morning, and then we'll enter into the time of the Word. God, we, we, uh, we ask this morning that you would do what you've done in the past, that you would Allow us to see a time in our day, God, in our city, in our county, where we would see revival, where it would be obvious that your mission is what has gotten things done and not us because the mission's far too big for us to accomplish on our own. God, I thank you for the generations that have passed through this place, not just this building, but here through Collin County, God, that have passed the gospel on and have seen it important to share your message with others across the world, God. I think back to moments in in American history, God, where we come back from World War II and we knew that we had to go forth with the message of Jesus, and that was what we did. I remember back to the early 90s, God, the late 80s with the Iron Curtain coming down, and, and God, it was important for your people to go forth and to share your good news with the world once again, and we did that. And God, I pray that we would see in our own day with globalization and and all that we see in our world, God, and how our hearts are struck, God, with a need for Jesus in this world, that we would not uh, betray our task, God, but that we would send missionaries from our kids, and that we would consider ourselves how we are called on mission, that we would realize that this place, Collin County, is a place that needs intersection with the gospel. So God, do it again, uh, and revive our hearts, God, to be engaged in your mission as you desire. It's in the name of Jesus that we all pray. Amen. You ever thought about the, the odds that were stacked against those believers in the early church? We talked uh, recently about Pentecost in this moment where the Holy Spirit descends. And it's amazing if you think about it, right? There were about 500 or so that Jesus appears to after his resurrection. That's quite a few people that are followers of this Jesus that had probably been around and heard his sermons and and they saw the resurrected Jesus. Again, what they proclaimed was not the Bible, right? What they proclaimed then was what they had witnessed with their own eyes. They had seen Jesus resurrected. If we, I mean, if you knew someone and you saw them on the earth and you heard them teach and proclaim as one with authority, and then you saw them raised from the dead, wouldn't you align your life with whatever they taught? I mean, raised from the dead, it's an amazing thing, right? And that's what they did. They aligned their lives with the truth of this Jesus, and Jesus promised them, wherever you go, I'm going to go with you. You won't be alone. That's the good news of the gospel that continues through the Holy Spirit, is that we go into God's mission. But imagine the stacks. Just take away the spiritual realm for a moment and think about these hundreds, after Pentecost, a few thousand, that come from all over the world, and they scatter out, and the dream is that one day, 
this mission that God is calling them on, this church that God is establishing, that it's going to outlast the Roman Empire that looks so much more powerful than anything they can dream up on their own. It's this minority group that moves city to city, starting in Jerusalem and moving about. Just imagine what that would be like to think that one day Caesar's going to be in the grave and his name will be in history books, but one day in Allen, Texas, a place they never considered, people would be gathering in a building and sharing bread together and sharing wine together and, and gathering funds to continue the work when the Roman Empire is just a footnote in history. You've all been in that moment before, probably leaving a retreat, haven't you? Where you are all energized and you're excited. Maybe it's been a, a woman's day that you went to or a men's retreat, and, or maybe it was a camp growing up and you were enthused with the gospel. You're excited to take it forth and go back down the mountain and charge and, and change your life. But isn't it hard to translate that experience on the mountain, that experience on the retreat, that experience on the mission trip, and to make it a part of your everyday life? That's the challenge, isn't it? Is we've all had these moments. We were more assured than ever before of the gospel, but how is that going to translate in the workplace? How is that going to translate at school? How is that going to translate in our families? How, how do the systems we know that tend to go back to homeostasis, how do they ever change and move forward? And how can we be catalytic in that experience? Well, these disciples had experienced an amazing moment at Pentecost. But the call that Jesus had given them is, wait, wait in Jerusalem for this gift I'm going to bestow, and then I want you to go. I want you to leave Jerusalem. I want you to go to Judea and Samaria. I want you to go to the ends of the earth with this message of good news that I have. And, and there's this guy named Saul, who just a few chapters later is persecuting this church. He believes so strongly against this that the Christians are the ones that are causing the problems. They're, they're the heretics, right? And he does everything he can to try to, to stamp out this movement because it's wrong. But then he comes in that experience with Jesus. He, Jesus appears in a vision and, and challenges Saul, and his name's changed to Paul in a moment, and he's now this great missionary. And he goes on several missionary journeys. And I think it's really interesting when you read through the book of Acts, that second half, the places that he chooses to go to. Because he picks cities for a reason in that time period. Difficult to reach cities. The first place, one of the first places they go to is a place called Antioch. You can kind of see on this map a little bit as, as, as we go along, just kind of how this journey occurs in the early church. One of the great Roman cities of this time. It was the capital of Roman Syria. A lot of people gathered in the city. It was at this cross point, this juncture between the Silk Road that would go east and, and the Persian Royal Road. It's at this crossroads right there at the, you know, the, the elbow, I guess, of the Mediterranean Sea on the northeast side. It, it's a Jewish center. There's a lot of Jewish people that are there. In fact, it makes sense they would start this church there because you know, they go there to try to share this message with the Jews, hoping they'll convert. And sure enough, some of them do. They come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Antioch is this great city, and, and, and all of a sudden, there's a few disciples, and it grows to a few more. And all of a sudden, there's a church that's established in Antioch. But Paul doesn't, doesn't stay with one church. He continues on in his journeys. You read the book of Acts. He's going from city to city, sharing this good news. And imagine what it would be like to walk into these cities with pagan temples, the city where there's no, you know, no remnant of the gospel. This is the first, he's breaking ground in these new places. And he goes to the Jewish synagogue in most of these places and hopes to gather a few. And Philippi goes to the river and, and he goes to these places. And the hope is if he can get a, 
a foothold in the city, if he can get just a few disciples, and the Holy Spirit promises to go with them, then maybe, just maybe, this thing might grow. And so he goes into these great cities, goes to Colossae, which is a trade center on a great military road, commercial road between Ephesus and the Euphrates River. And so they go on to the city in Colossae, and all of a sudden there's a few disciples who begin to gather, and Paul writes a letter later on to encourage them. Then he goes to the city of Ephesus. Ephesus is a huge city in this time period. Some of you may have actually gotten to go there before. It's uh, right near the port city. It's now Kusadasi, and uh, it's a little bit inland now. But at that point, it was a port city, Ephesus was. The the guesses are probably 250,000 people live in the city, maybe up to 300,000 people. That's a big city. It's probably about the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire behind Alexandria and Antioch and Rome. And, And Paul spends about three years of his ministry in Ephesus at different points, it seems like. And, uh, and, and it's amazing. If you've ever been there, you know the ruins, right? There, there was actually one of the great ancient wonders of the world, the Temple of Artemis. It was in Ephesus. It was a, a hotbed of idolatry uh, following the, the god Artemis. Um, and there's this great theater there. If you've ever been there, there's 25,000 spectators that could have fit in the city, about a tenth of the city. You could go for different events that were there. And if you're there, um, I remember being at the bottom of that place when I got to visit and just a small voice, just a whisper, just a, a, not even raising your voice much could architecturally, they'd set it up where the whole theater could hear for the plays and things that would go on. And, and that theater actually figures into the gospel story in Acts. If you read in the story of Ephesus there, Mark Antony and Cleopatra spent time in Ephesus as Mark Antony was building up his, his naval fleet for the battles that would ensue after that. This is this great port city, right? And with a port city, you know what comes along with that, right? It's a diverse group of people. There's sailors that are coming in. That you can imagine today what some of those cities look like and what would have been like for Paul to have sailed into that port city. And just imagine the great temple of Artemis that's up there. And Paul comes into the city and he, he has to believe that somehow 20, 30 believers might just turn into hundreds and might just turn into thousands in the midst of the city. And sure enough, that's what happens. This church grows and grows. There was the city of Philippi. Philippi was on the uh, Via Ignatia, which was the main road that a lot of these cities end up on that Paul journeys onto. Many of them are port cities, but many are along this road. And, and Philippi was the city where a lot of the Roman centurions, once they retired from their soldier duties in the Roman Empire, they would retire to the city of, of Philippi. And so this was a patriotic city that worshipped the gods of Rome. And, and uh, it was an urban center scattered with sanctuaries to various gods around the empire. Thessalonica was another city that was, uh, was, was a port city. It was an important city in that time. It was uh, actually the capital of the Greek provinces for just a few years during this time period. And it was the most populous city in Macedonia. We, we hear about Paul talking about the Macedonian churches, Philippi's in that region as well. Paul goes to the city and he makes a difference in the midst of this. And then there's Corinth and Corinth has its own uh, history that we love to talk about when we talk about the two letters to the Corinthians that Paul writes to. It's a metropolitan city. Yeah, Corinth, uh, it was actually it had two ports on each side of the city, right? One on the Aegean side, one on the Adriatic side. This great port city that people would have come to. And there were temples set up to all the gods there. There was a temple to Aphrodite. There was a temple to Poseidon, to Apollos, to Hermes, to, to Isis, to and then there was, there was one that was set up to the pantheon. So all the gods, there was a temple that was devoted to that to make sure that all of them were covered, right? 
And I'm just imagining, imagine being Paul, right? Walking into these cities and maybe he's got a partner that's with him, but he's, he's seeing all these temples that are scattered all over the place. And everyone knows that Caesar's Lord. And he's got this three-word phrase that only the Spirit can beckon people to give. He's hoping that one day others will say Jesus is and he just goes from city to city. He eventually gets from Corinth and he goes on to Rome. And we know Rome is the center of the world, right? It's where the, the Colosseum is. It's where Caesar lived most of the time. Many of you visited there. These are cities that are full of immorality. These are cities that are dedicated to other gods and other religions that believe very different from Paul as he enters in. These are cities like the LA and the New York. They're cities like Beijing today and London. This is where the action happened. This is where culture was created. And Paul would show up. And his dream was, if we could just get a foothold, if we could just get a group of people that would break bread together and would sing songs and would remind each other of the stories of Jesus, then maybe, just maybe one day, this important city will be turned over to people who will believe in Jesus rather than Caesar. How did Paul have any hope that this strategy would work. I mean, Jerusalem, yes, maybe there's a hope there. And Antioch, well, there's a lot of Jewish people there, and then they seem to get a good church going. But, but just going into these huge metropolitan cities, port cities, and just planning a house church, or maybe two or three, and hoping, maybe if I just write letters of encouragement along the way and correct some heresy that goes on, that maybe, just maybe, the Spirit of God will do something that Paul could never imagine. See, the same reason that Rome and Caesar believe these were important cities, that's the same reason that Paul decides to enter these cities. He goes by boat and he goes by road and he tells the story of Jesus and they do this ritual everywhere he goes where they break bread and they drink a cup and they tell the story about Jesus who's Lord in the midst of these temples that tell other stories altogether. And who would have thought in that time that today in Texas, there'd be a group of disciples who would do the same thing this many years later. They would gather together every single week on the first day of the week to remind themselves of the story of the resurrection, to remind themselves that we preach Christ crucified, to remind ourselves about these rituals that we do, about baptism that we enter into. And, and, and then we gather funds, just like Paul did with those early churches, so they can be sent to share the good news of Jesus with the world. We're still doing what Paul thought could change the world. And sure enough, look what's come of it. You think they could have imagined all this? I, th I see Paul as a dreamer. I see Paul as someone who had great imagination about how things could be, but I don't think he could have ever imagined what God has done. And isn't that the promise in scripture? That God would do far more than we can ask or imagine. That's what's been the result of the mission work in the past. The first century, when people said the names of cities like Corinth and Thessalonica and Colossae and Rome and Antioch. When, when these cities were brought up, what, do you, what association do you think people had in those days about those cities? Probably nothing to do with the Christian faith. Probably a lot of immorality, probably pagan gods, probably this great Roman empire that they'd submitted to so that they could grow as a city. I bet the same things we think of when we think of L.A. and New York, when we think of Mumbai and Las Vegas, I imagine the same associations we have with these cities were the associations that people had with those ancient cities. These are the hardest reaches, places to reach with the gospel. 
These are the places that would be hardest to believe you could get a foothold in. Maybe in these rural areas you could get a group of people, but in these large cities, how could it make any footprint? How could it make any difference? It was absurd to think that just a group of 20 or 30 people would break bread and would drink wine and would tell stories about Jesus and would have a hope about a day when this Jesus would return. But today, do you know what we call the toughest cities to reach in the first century world? We call them books of the Bible. You realize how crazy that is? We refer to these ancient cities that were full of immorality and pagan idolatry, and they were believing that Caesar was Lord. Today, we refer to them as books of the Bible, and we don't blink an eye at it. When Paul entered those cities of Galatia and Ephesus and Corinth and Rome, no one would have identified those cities with anything having to do with Jesus. But today, it's not odd at all when I say, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. That's like saying, uh, open your Bibles to Londoners 432. Open your Bible to Las Vegans 16.1. Open your Bibles to New Yorkers 21.33. You get the picture, don't you? It's absurd. Those cities aren't known for Christianity. But today when we open our Bibles, we flip through them and think it's normal in our New Testament to read Romans and Corinthians and Philippians and Galatians and Ephesians and Colossians and Thessalonians. We refer to these ancient cities as books of the Bible because this gospel made a difference. This gospel transformed the Roman Empire. This gospel grew and it grew and that meal grew and it grew and the deposit of faith was passed on over and over again. It is amazing what God can do with a group of people who were sold out to breaking bread to drinking a cup, to telling the story of Jesus, to offering money and generosity so that the word can continue to go forth to the world that we can't imagine might just know Jesus. We are tasked with continuing in this tradition, church. That, that commission that God gave, that Jesus gave in Matthew 28, it's not done with. We still have the same calling in our lives to see that London is not just a city on a map, but it's a city that's been transformed by the gospel. And the same is true for cities in Africa and in Asia and in North America and every continent on this globe. We are called to take the good news to new places. We are commissioned to consider other places that are hard to reach and not give up on them, but to go to them and to send our children to share the story once again. And that's true overseas, but it's true here as well, isn't it? I would love it if we would do more as we send people out, just like the elders sent Paul out and others. If we knew our kids were moving to a big city, they were moving maybe to LA, if we would commission them as missionaries before they go, not just people going to work a new job, but we help them see that when you go to this place, you're to do the same thing we've done for years. You're to break bread with the people who are there. And you're to drink from this cup. And you're to preach about the Sermon on the Mount. And you're to Align your lives with the teaching of Jesus who continues to transform lives. That's why you're going out. Not just to make money for that business. Not just to start that new thing. Not just to teach school in that school overseas. But you're going to be a missionary of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want to implore you, church, as we pray about this, and we're going to pray about this this morning. We're going to spend some time in prayer because we believe it's not our action, it's God's action. He's the originator of mission. So when we talked about pray, give, and go as our theme this year, 
we really wanted to do that, not just talk about it. So for the next several minutes, we're going to have a time of prayer. We're going to ask God to do what only God can do to continue this revival and this move and this work of the spirit in the world. That God would direct us to the missionaries that we continue to support and and, and show us new ones that we need to step into to, to continue to see around Collin County ways the gospel needs to expand. It's not done here. We have to pass this baton of faith to the next generation. How do we do that in faithful ways? And then how do we continue to plant churches like the early church planted as well? These are the dreams of a church that isn't giving up and believing, well, we've done all there is to do here. We just send our money someplace else. No, we are caught up in this mission. And we pray that God will disrupt our lives and that we'll send our kids forth, not just as business people in other cities, not just as parents of children, but they're missionaries to their families and to the cities they go to. 